the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. Real love is calling, listen, truth opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. It is a loving God who sees us on a reckless path and intervenes. It is a cruel God who sees us on a path of self-destruction and does nothing. And so God used a crisis in this man's life to bring him to the right place of relationship with the Lord. And God is not beyond doing the same with you and me because he loves us too much. And if we're on a reckless path, God's going to intervene. God's going to do whatever he can to get our attention until we finally come to that place of surrender. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 2 Chronicles. It can seem cruel if someone ran up to you and pushed you violently. That is, unless they were pushing you out of the way of some deadly catastrophe. This is what God does for you when he intervenes in your life and allows consequences to hurt you. From your perspective, he's ruining the fun. But really, he's saving your life. In today's message, Pastor Gary teaches on King Manasseh's life. It's messed up. But God knows just what it takes to rewrite the last pages. God is offering you a second chance, too. It's not too late. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 2 Chronicles, chapters 29 to 33, for part two of today's message titled, Second Chances. What the ancient Babylons did, they actually were the first ones who came up with the astrological chart. You know, what today what we call like the zodiac chart and what's your sign and horoscopes and all this kind of stuff. Ancient Babylon's first ones who came up with that. What they did was they looked at where the constellation was in relation to the sun and the earth when you were born. And they came up with this whole astrological chart. And it is what has been followed for 3,000 years by people who are really into that thing, who look to the stars as their source of guidance and counsel. So, you know, people who are really, you know, most people like have looked at a chart, at least know where they are. And so they think about their lives being guided by the stars. So like, I'm Gemini and I'm Aquarius and I'm Sagittarius. What are you? Cancer? What are you? Libra? You know, and everybody are talking about these things. And then the people who get really into this are like, they won't take a job unless the horoscope tells them that it's the job to take. They won't marry a person who's incompatible with their sign. Never want to do that. Well, here's the real kicker. I don't know if you know this. A couple of years ago, scientists realized that because over 3,000 years, since the astrological charts were first drawn by the ancient Babylonians, over the last 3,000 years, the earth has wobbled. And so now what is aligned is about a month different from 3,000 years ago. 
And they've come up with a whole new astrological chart with the dates now are completely different. And everybody who was waking up on that morning when the scientists announced this a couple years ago were like, I thought I was a Gemini. I'm actually a Taurus. <laughs> oh no, I'm married to Sagittarius. Taurus is not supposed to marry Sagittarius. My life is doomed. Uh, what in the world is going on here? So that's a real kicker because now people have been making all their lives decisions based on the stars. And Manasseh is guilty here of bowing down and worshiping the stars and the sun and the moon. And even the Bible says building an altar to them. And God strictly forbid these kind of things. Deuteronomy 4.19, God said, And when you look up to the sky and see the sun, the moon, and the stars, all the heavenly array, do not be enticed into bowing down to them and worshiping things. The Lord your God is apportioned to all the nations under heaven. In other words, listen, folks, it's great. Appreciate the handiwork of God's creation. I love a beautiful sunset or a beautiful sunrise. I love the constellations and the stars against the night sky. Just don't bow down and worship them. And that's what Manasseh was doing. Number five, he was guilty of probably the most egregious on the list, sacrificing his sons in the fire. Now, he did this because he was imitating the detestable practices of the nations around him. There were two principal gods of the pagan people around him. Chemosh and Molech were their names. And when the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hittites, when the ancient Phoenicians would worship Chemosh in particular, Chemosh was often designated as a statue with the head of a bull and the body of a man. And they would make iron statues of Chemosh that were hollow. And on the inside, they would kindle a fire so that the iron was just red hot. And this statue having the arms of a man would be fashioned with palms up and arms outstretched to receive an offering. And what people would do, it's unthinkable, but what people would do is they would offer their children in the arms of Chemosh as it was heated up red hot. That's what it means by sacrificing their sons in the fire. And Manasseh was doing the exact thing that these ancient pagan kingdoms around him were doing in the worship of Chemosh and Molech. This is unimaginable. The valley in which these children were offered is mentioned right here in verse 6, the Valley of Ben-Hunom. The Valley of Ben-Hunom today it has been called the Valley of the Children. And there's a placard in Israel when you drive over the Valley of Ben-Hunom. There's a placard called In Memory of the Children. Because the Jews today do not want to ever forget the atrocities of their history when children were sacrificed in this place to the worship of these false gods. That place, that location is also called Tophet. In Hebrew, tofet is from a Hebrew word tof, meaning drums. Because when they would sacrifice their children, they would beat the drums to try to drown out the screams of dying children. That's the name of this place. And this is what King Manasseh was doing, offering his own sons in the fire in the worship of these false gods. And it tells us about Manasseh in 2 Kings 21.16 that moreover, Manasseh also shed so much innocent blood that he filled Jerusalem from end to end. Number six on the list tells us that he practiced demonic rituals. The latter part of verse six says that he practiced sorcery, divination, witchcraft, consulted mediums and spiritists, and he did much evil in the eyes of the Lord, provoking him to anger. And all of those terms, sorcery, divination, witchcraft, consulting of mediums and spiritists, all of that is tied into the demonic. 
Folks, we need to understand that there are principalities and powers and spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms that Paul writes about in Ephesians chapter 6. There's a demonic realm that is unseen. When Satan rebelled against God in heaven, and the Bible says he took a third of the stars with him, referencing the angels who rebelled with him. Those unseen fallen angels are demons. And there are still ways, obviously I'm not encouraging this, but just as a matter of fact, there are still ways that people can tap into the demonic today. What Manasseh was guilty of is today just, you know, been modified. So listen, strong caution here. Don't think that some of this stuff is just, well, it's just Hollywood. It's just wacky. It's just make-believe. Some of it, of course, perhaps is made up. But there's real connection to the demonic with things like seances, Ouija boards, palm reading, tarot cards, all this kind of stuff. And I would strongly caution you, too, to filter television shows and movies because even Hollywood loves to glamorize the dark side of the supernatural to make it seem, you know, engaging and people become enthralled with this kind of thing and fixated on it. But again, some of it is perhaps there are charlatans with this kind of stuff, but the reality is that a lot of this is demonic. We have people consulting mediums to connect with the dead. We even have a reality show. I don't even know if it's still on anymore. It used to be called The Long Island Medium. Is that show still on? I don't know. But listen, you know, you might look at her and go, oh, she's just making this stuff up. I don't think she's making it up at all. I think she's tapping into the demonic to understand the things related to your long lost father, mother, aunt, or uncle. And so these things are demonic and we shouldn't have anything to do with them. Resist any kind of involvement in those kind of things. Leviticus 19.31, God says, Do not turn to mediums or seek out spiritists, for you will be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. And then number seven on the list, it says that he led Judah astray from the Lord, which is self-explanatory. I mean, what more needs to be said? If you're doing the first six, of course, you're going to be led astray and you're going to lead the people of Israel astray because you're the king. And so that's what's happening here. These are the seven deadly sins of Manasseh. Now you look at this list of this guy and you might think to yourself, and it would be true, you know, pretty evil, pretty wicked. I mean, the Bible describes him that way clearly. But the amazing thing about his story is that God never gave up on him. And I don't know where you might be in relation to the Lord or where friends of yours might be. And you might think of yourself or think of others as, man, they're completely lost. And there's no chance for that person to be redeemed. And, you know, look how wicked and evil and sinful. And I want you to note what happens here in Manasseh's life, because the latter half is better than the first half. In verse 10, Look at verse 10. It says, The Lord spoke to Manasseh and his people, but they paid no attention. Now, the last part of that verse is a sad note. But the first part is encouraging because God was still pursuing this evil, wicked man. And God loved him and loved the nation that he didn't give up on them. He went after them. He tried to get their attention. He spoke to them. And the inference is, how did he speak to them? The inference is he spoke to them through the prophets. Because... Ancient Jewish history says, we don't know this for a fact from the Bible, ancient Jewish history says that Isaiah the prophet was sought into. He was martyred and sought into. There's a reference, a veiled reference to that in Hebrews 11 when it speaks about some of the great men and women of the faith and those even who were sawed in half. And ancient Jewish history tells us that it was King Manasseh who ordered the sawing of Isaiah in two. Because, you see, if you're in rebellion against God and there's somebody confronting you about it, you know, you want to shoot the messenger. That's basically what he does. 
He takes offense that Isaiah is confronting him. And so he doesn't pay any attention to the words of the prophets or whatever God is using to speak to him and to the nation of Judah. No attention at all. King James Version says that they did not hearken to the Lord. Okay, they turned a deaf ear. You know, the truth is that God pursues us, but he also has given us a free will to accept him or reject him. And as much as it breaks the heart of God when people reject him, he doesn't violate that free will, but he will pursue us. Now, he's pursuing Manasseh here and the people of Judah. They're turning a deaf ear. They don't want to have anything to do with God. And as a result, God is going to use a more severe method to get their attention. And the severe method is verse 11. So... The Lord brought against them the army commanders of the king of Assyria who took Manasseh prisoner, put a hook in his nose, bound him with bronze shackles, and took him to Babylon. Okay, Manasseh, you're going to turn a deaf ear to me? I love you too much to allow you to be the way you are. You're on a path of destruction. Your life is going to be in ruins. So what does God do? So he allows a foreign kingdom... The kingdom of Assyria, which is the territory of today's Iraq and Iran. King of Assyria comes down to Jerusalem, besieges the city. God allows this. This is God's rod of discipline. And Manasseh the king is taken captive. Bible says they put a hook in his nose. The Assyrians were ruthless. They would string people like fish on a string. And they put a hook through his nose, which a better image of this would be, if you've ever worked on a farm, have seen pictures of a bull with a ring in the bull's nose. Because you can control, the old saying is, a toddler can handle a bull with a ring in the nose. Because it's the most sensitive part of the animal and of a human being. They basically would hook through the cartilage between his nostrils. And then they would string him along and drag him like this. Okay? Can you imagine the humiliation, the degradation, the embarrassment? One minute you're king in a palace, the next minute you're a convict in a prison. And this is the way they treated Manasseh. Hauled along like this, like just an animal. Brutally treated. Taken over to Babylon a few hundred miles away. Where God will get a hold of his heart. You know, sometimes God will resort to crises if that's what it takes to turn us around. Because he loves us too much to allow us to remain the way we are. You might look at this and think to yourself, how terrible is this? I mean, Manasseh dragged by his nose in bronze shackles, humiliated. How degrading. Why would God do such a thing? Doesn't sound like a very loving God. Let me tell you something. This is the best day of Manasseh's life. This is the best day in Manasseh's life. It is a loving God who sees us on a reckless path and intervenes. It is a cruel God who sees us on a path of self-destruction and does nothing. And so God used a crisis in this man's life to bring him to a, the right place of relationship with the Lord. And God is not beyond doing the same with you and me. Because he loves us too much. And if we're on a reckless path, God's going to intervene. God's going to do whatever he can to get our attention until we finally come to that place of surrender. What happens is Manasseh ends up getting over to Babylon, and it is there that because of this crisis, then he turns to the Lord. And the Bible tells us in verses 12 and 13, I want you to look at verses 12 and 13 with me. The Bible tells us three things that Manasseh did. This becomes his turning point. This becomes the point in his life where there's going to be a shift 180 degrees. And there's a good outcome to all this. So look at this with me. Verse 12, three things that Manasseh does. Here's the first thing that he does. In verse 12, it says, In his distress, he sought the favor of the Lord his God. That's the first thing. He sought the favor of the Lord. Now, another word for favor is mercy. What does he do? He gets over to Babylon, 
You can read some of the ancient historical records of Manasseh, not in the Bible, but some ancient historical records. It says that the Assyrians made an iron mule, a hollow iron mule, and stuffed Manasseh inside of it, and then kindled a fire underneath. So whether he's in the belly of an iron mule or whatever his condition is, this much we do know. He turns to the Lord, and the first thing he does is he seeks the favor of God. He appeals to the mercy of God. Folks, we serve a merciful God. God is merciful to us. Daniel 9.9 says this, The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against Him. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against Him. And aren't you glad that Psalm 103 says that God does not treat us according to as our sins deserve, nor does He repay us according to our iniquities. But as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His love for those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has He removed our transgressions from us. For as a father has compassion for his children, so God has compassion for those who fear Him. That's our Father in heaven. He is compassionate and merciful, and all He wants is for us to turn to Him, to appeal to His mercy. This is what Manasseh does. That's the first thing. He appeals to the mercy of the Lord. And then the rest of verse 12 says, and humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. That's the second thing. First, he sought the favor of the Lord. Secondly, he humbled himself before the Lord. Pride is the greatest hindrance to any of us having relationship with God. Because pride is arrogance, and in our arrogance, we feel like we're self-sufficient, we don't need God, we're fine, we're self-made people, we're okay, we don't need God. And therefore, there's no room for God to be Lord because you already are. I mean, that's what pride really is. It's when you put yourself on the throne, and you have no room for God to be Lord of your life. So we have to humble ourselves. We have to take self off the throne, put God on the throne. And the Bible says in Proverbs 15, 25, that the Lord tears down the proud man's house. Proverbs 15, 25, the Lord tears down the proud man's house. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Jesus said in Matthew 23, 12, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Whoever humbles himself will be exalted. We need to be people of humility. Manasseh was a man who became broken over his own pride and arrogance, and he humbled himself before the Lord. And then thirdly, in verse 13, it says, and when he prayed, and when he prayed, the third thing he did is he earnestly prayed to the Lord. Now, there's no record of his prayer. We don't know exactly what the words of his prayer were. The text tells us further down that it was recorded, but we don't have it in the Bible. We don't know what he said. What we do know is the reaction from the Lord. As a result of these three things, the reaction of the Lord was the rest of verse 13, which says, The Lord was moved by his entreaty and listened to his plea. So, notice what God did, he brought him back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. And then Manasseh knew that the Lord is God. Isn't this amazing? Now, we have no record, no detail about how God accomplished getting him out of the hands of the Assyrians back to Jerusalem where he could become king again. You know, did God move the heart of the king of Assyria? Did God dispatch some Israeli special op forces and get over there and capture Manasseh and bring him? We don't know how it was accomplished, but it just was. That God intervened and miraculously brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem, and he was king again. 
And I want you to see when Manasseh goes through this, okay, and this is not just some, you know, foxhole Christianity. You know the old saying about there's no atheist in a foxhole because when you, when bombs are going off of bullets, you know, people all of a sudden get real serious about God, all right? If you've ever been in an airplane when it gets a little weird, all of a sudden people start praying, you know, like they never have before. That's not what's happening here. This is not this foxhole conversion. This is serious stuff because when he gets back to Jerusalem, After God miraculously puts him back on the throne, look here at the rest of his reign. Verses 15 through 20. Let me just read it to you. Verse 15 through 20. He got rid of the foreign gods and removed the image from the temple of the Lord as well as all the altars he had built on the temple hill and in Jerusalem. And he threw them out of the city. Then he restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed fellowship offerings and thank offerings on it and told Judah to serve the Lord, the God of Israel. The people, however, continued to sacrifice at the high places, but only to the Lord their God. So the shrines were still there, but at least they got rid of the idols. They're only worshiping the Lord. The other events of Manasseh's reign, including his prayer to his God and the words the seer spoke to him in the name of the Lord, the God of Israel, are written in the annals of the kings of Israel, something that we don't have. His prayer and how God was moved by his entreaty as well as all his sins and unfaithfulness and the sites where he built high places and set up Asherah poles and idols before he humbled himself, all are written in the records of the seers. Manasseh rested with his fathers and was buried in his palace, and Ammon, his son, succeeded him as king. Some of you just need to hear this, okay? God is the God of second chances. When you look at Manasseh's life and you see how wretched it was, I mean, this is a guy who's killing his own children, okay? He's killing his kids. He's worshiping idols. He's bowing down to the stars. He's off the rails. This guy is evil and wicked to the core. And God pursued him. And Manasseh turned a deaf ear. And God pursued him further. And it became painful and embarrassing for Manasseh. See, when we humble ourselves, it goes better for us than if God has to do it to bring us to the place of surrender. It can be embarrassing and painful. But God loved him enough that even when Manasseh turned a deaf ear, God's like, all right. And he whistled for the king of Assyria. And when Manasseh was stripped of everything, his kingdom, his dignity, his pride, his power, his palace, and he got to the bottom of himself, it was the best day in his life. Because you see, then he could surrender to God. He could seek the favor of the Lord. He humbled himself and he prayed. And what did God do? He forgave him and he restored him. Now, I wish I could tell you that everybody who follows these three steps will end up getting back everything that they lost during the sinful years. This is not a pattern or a formula to say if you do these three things, you'll get back the marriage that you destroyed. You'll get back in the fellowship with your kids that you lost over your sinful stuff, whatever. This is not to say that everything works out happily ever after, okay? And I don't want to mislead anybody and say, you know, just just do all this and all of a sudden, you know, your life's going to be perfect again like Manasseh. I can say this, however. His mercies are new with every morning and his compassions fail not. Great is his faithfulness. And if we turn to the Lord and if we humble ourselves and if we pray and if we seek his face, he will be found by us And life in the latter half will be a better legacy than the first half. Leave a better legacy for your children. Turn to the Lord now while he can be found. Because God is a God of infinite chances when we come to him with a broken heart and a contrite spirit. So if you're at a place in your life where you're like at a crisis point, 
It might be embarrassing. It might be painful. It might even be humiliating. But it could very well be the best day of your life because it'll be then that God will show himself strong to you and you can humble yourself and come to into a right relationship with him. And I pray that you do because Manasseh's life is an example for us that God is the God of second chances. The writer of Second Chronicles intended the book to be a reminder of God's love and faithfulness to the people of Israel. They needed this history lesson to remember and renew their trust in their creator. Can you recall a time in your life where God came through for you? When you find yourself in a difficult situation, remember that moment. God will always be with you, and His promises are always worth holding on to. We hope today you've been blessed by everything you heard on Cornerstone Connection. This teaching and others like it are all available on our website to listen to again, or even download and share with others at cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find more information about this program and Pastor Gary, as well as some helpful resources. Just click Companion Resources under the Teachings tab to find PDF files that will enhance your own study of God's Word. We'd also love to meet you in person, so if you're in the Leesburg area, please come by one of our services. We meet Sundays and Wednesdays to worship our Creator and study His Word. If you can't make it to a service, you can always live stream them from our website. Find out more at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Thanks for tuning in today. Join Pastor Gary again for another insightful edition of Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul That you've got no place to go But still you know You're not alone Real love is calling Listen, truth opens up your eyes Mercy is waiting for you With every sunrise Hope is an open ocean Jump in and you'll find the cornerstones Your connection run towards your new Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.